It can be difficult to figure out why the Grinch is so Grinchy. Um, there are some things about his life that seem pretty great. He lives in a snow-capped mountain chalet. Like, who, who wouldn't like that? That's a pretty sweet gig. He wakes up on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning to have everyone in the village below singing Christmas songs that he hears as soon as he opens his door. Who wouldn't like that? That would be a great way to start Christmas, even if the song is Fahu Fore Dahu Dore. It at least has a Christmas ring to it. That would be a great way to start Christmas. But by far, the greatest thing about being the Grinch, and I've learned this from the movies that they've made, he has a dog that can make his coffee for him every morning. Like, that's the best thing ever. If you had a dog that could make your coffee every morning, why would you complain about anything in life? My dog has never once brought me coffee. Dead animals, yes. Coffee, no. Uh, one of the things the Grinch reminds us, and Christmas reminds us, is that it, it, it really doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't even necessarily matter what you get. You can have a lot of great things. Mountain Chalet, Christmas songs on Christmas, a dog that brings you coffee, a new job, a new car, more money, uh, uh, a better position in your career. You can, you can have a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily translate immediately into joy. It certainly doesn't translate into lasting joy. Uh, another uh, tradition, maybe, of the Christmas season is there are always lists, either in magazines or online, there are lists of the really exclusive, really expensive Christmas gifts. Like if you have nothing else to do with your money and you want to spend a whole lot of money on Christmas gifts, here are the thing, some of the things that you could get. I, I found these online this week. I found a 24-karat gold shoelaces for $19,000. This is a real thing, 24-karat gold shoelaces. Run out and buy those. What was described as really, 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 really nice linens for $55,000. You can have linens for your whole house. I know some of you do those bedsheet fundraisers for your kids in school. Uh, next time you can just say, hey, they're not $55,000. You should buy one of these from me. Uh, another one was gold sunglasses. That cost $383,000. I don't know how there could possibly be that much gold in a pair of sunglasses, but apparently these, $383,000, you're going to have gold sunglasses. Then, uh, the really bizarre one, you could have your own perfume scent, cologne scent, mixed up just for you. Uh, they send you to Paris, you spend a couple of days in Paris with with perfume experts, I guess, and they talk to you, and they find out what you like and who you are, and they will create your very own scent of cologne or perfume for the low, low price of $475,000. This apparently is a real thing, which is crazy amounts of money. Nobody here is going to spend that much money. Nobody here has that much money, right? Uh, you're not going to spend that much money on these things. Just the fact that they exist, the fact that they're advertised, is a little bit of a commentary on who we are as people. But I think most of us know, all of us know. We've learned over the years. It's a lesson we have to keep relearning sometimes. That 
joy, lasting joy, ongoing joy, isn't found in stuff. It isn't found in wanting more. It isn't found in desiring more. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with getting things for Christmas, right? One of the most common questions right now is, what do you want for Christmas? What's on your Christmas list? And since you ask, I wear size BMW, all right? So if you want to... Just kidding. We all learn over and over again, and yet, for, for most of us, it's difficult to completely learn the lesson that lasting joy is not in stuff. It's not in the next thing. It, it, it's, it's not in the missing piece because that's part of the struggle with this issue of desire and want is I develop the mentality that says, well, there's this missing thing in my life and I just if I just get it, then I'll be happier because those people have the thing that I want and they look really happy. And so if I get that thing, I'll be happy. But come on, we, we know it doesn't work. For starters, we know that whenever we get that thing that we have been wanting, whether it's a material possession or a place in life or a house or financial spot, we know that not long after we get it, it just starts to lose some of its shine, doesn't it? I mean, we, we get that initial hit of dopamine, right? That, that pleasure sense that we, that we have in our brain. We get that initial sense of pleasure that, oh, I got this. It just doesn't last very long. Which then translates into the next thing that I need to get. Okay, that didn't do it, and so the next thing might do it. Um, the other problem with getting stuff, more stuff, expensive stuff, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes Solomon talks about this. He said the problem is the more stuff you get, the more, the more you worry about the stuff that you got. And more stuff brings more worry. Because once you get nicer stuff, then you got to worry about somebody stealing your nicer stuff, right? So you have to buy more insurance for the stuff that you bought that you thought were going to make. And then you have to buy video cameras to video the stuff that you bought so that you could catch somebody if they wanted to steal whatever you got. It's like all of these consequences that continue to spill out as I pursue more and more and things and materialism and what I want... But, but we all know, it, at least theoretically, at least we would say that joy is not found in stuff. It's not found in getting more. The danger, not at Christmas, but, but really throughout our life, is it's not in having goals. Obviously, I'm not saying that's negative. It's not, it's not in wanting to achieve. I'm not saying that's a problem. The danger is if we're not careful, we can, we can sort of press pause on our life because we think my life can't start until I get this, I have this, this happens in my life. I won't be happy until. And so if, if we're not careful, we'll just kind of press pause because we're expecting this next great thing to fix some part of us. And what, what happens is... That sort of mentality not only steals our Christmas, it starts to steal our life. It, st it starts to steal the rela relationships that are right in front of the joy that's right in front of us. Because days go by and weeks go by and months go by of this one day, someday. Uh, Emerson has the famous 
quote, we're always getting ready to live, but never really living. We're always almost there. We're getting ready. As soon as I get this, then my life's going to start. I'm going to be at a better place. As soon as the kids get to whatever, then I'm going to be at a happier place. We're always getting ready for this life of joy and happiness. We're just, we're just never really living. Another well-known quote, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Life is what's happening to you while you're waiting for that thing to come into your life. Or you're waiting until you get that thing or to that place or in that position. But here's the thing about Christmas. The one life and the one Christmas that you have is the one that's right in front of you. It's not the one that you imagine will be someday when. It's the life and the Christmas that you have right now. The, the joy that is available to you is the joy that's in front of you, the, the present, right? I, I wish I could promise us all many more Christmases. I can't. I wish I could promise myself that. I wish I could guarantee this future Christmases, 20, 50, 100 more. I can't. The one that we have is the one that's in front of us. The question is... What is it about this one that brings joy? The story of the Grinch um, is focused around Whoville and the Who, Cindy Lou Who, and all of the Who people. Maybe. Maybe the reason the Who's are able to sing in spite of their presents and ribbons and bows being taken away, is maybe it's because they know who they are. Maybe that's why they're called who's. Because they know who they are, and in knowing who we are is where we discover the greatest lasting sense of joy and peace and contentment. So let's talk a little bit this morning about who we are, who you are, who I am, who we all are. Number one, we are people who are known. That's who you are. You're known. You are known, completely known in every way. You are seen. You are not off the radar somewhere. You're not below the surface somewhere. There is a God in heaven that sees you and knows everything about you. Whatever you're hiding today, it is not hidden from God. It may be hidden from other people. It is not hidden from God. You are completely laid bare. You are completely known by God. That was, that was true of Mary in the, in the Christmas story. God comes to her because He knows all about her. Here's how the story unfolds in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. He knows you. He sees you. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel comes to Mary and her first response is, you have the wrong person. A teenage girl, in a small part of the world that hardly anyone took notice of, and yet God knew there was this girl, and she was the right one for what God wanted to accomplish. It, a few verses later, Mary's going to say, how could this be because of my humble position, my, my lowly status in life? Like, I'm nobody. I'm nobody to be chosen for this role. And the angel's message is, you're the person that God knows. As a matter of fact, God knew Mary more than Mary knew Mary. And because God looked at her and said, you're the right one. God knew what he wanted to do in her life even more than she knew herself. And it's the same for us. That God knows you better than anyone else, even better than you. God knows all about you. God knows all about me. In the Old Testament, there was a, 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 a difficult time that God's people were going through. And at one point, they cried out to God and said, Look, have you just forgotten all about us? Like, do you even see us? Do you even know what we're going through? And God's response in Isaiah 49 was, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved, engraved you, some translations say, I've engraved your name on the palms of my hands. God says, look, if a mother would not forget her child, that's what I'm like. A mother could never forget that she has a child. And, and then God goes on and says, even if that were possible... Even if it were possible for a mother's compassion not to go out to her own child, I'm never going to forget you. I'm never going to lose track of you. You're never going to be at some point in your life and, and I not know about it. I, I know you. I, I, I know what brings you joy and hope. I know what your fears are. I know... Your anxieties. I know your worries about the future. I know your, your brokenness. I know, I know where you failed and where you've succeeded. I know what, what you're proud of. I know what you're embarrassed by. God looks into each one of us and says, look, I know you. Nobody else may know you, but I know you. It's part of the beauty of the Christmas story is that God takes Unseen people and unseen places, unimportant areas of the world, and tells his glorious story out of unseen, unknown places. Uh, Micah, another Old Testament prophet, writes, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Ephrathah was a, uh, a designation often connected to Bethlehem. It means fruitfulness. Bethlehem means house of bread. 
out of you. Though you're the smallest, though nobody pays attention to you, though you're not important, I'm going to bring my fruitful, life-giving work out of you because God sees into unseen places. He's the all-seeing God who sees the unseen places of this world and the unseen places of our lives. I mean, the, the, the story goes on to say that when it was time for Jesus to be born, he, he wasn't born in a place that everybody knew about. There wasn't some special great place for him to be born and everybody's standing in the waiting room waiting on the boy to be born. He's born in an unseen place. An unnaz- He's born in a stable. Nobody knew about. Nobody knew what was happening. That The story of Christmas is told from seemingly unknown and unseen places so that God could say, that's, that's where I do good work. That's where I do my greatest work. Is when you think, I don't know, because I know. And this morning, God knows. Other people may not know what's going on in your life. God knows. There, there may be discouragements that you're keeping close. You're, you're keeping to yourself. God knows those. There may be hurts this Christmas. There, there may be struggles, disappointments. You haven't shared those with anybody else. Maybe only a few people, maybe nobody. The Christmas story says... God knows those. You are known. That's who you are. You are known utterly, completely by God. But not only are you known, you're loved. You are known completely for every facet of your life, and you are loved. Let's be honest. It would not be a good thing to be known and not loved. It would be quite devastating If someone knew everything about you and didn't fully love you, if someone knew every mistake you had ever made and and every poorly chosen word you had ever used and every bad decision that you were responsible for, if someone knew all of that and did not look on you with compassion, that would not be a good thing. That would be a frightening thing. If someone knew every anxiety that you had, every worry that you had, every fear that you have and didn't love you, that would be scary. It's one of our greatest fears, is it not, living in the technological age, the digital age, email and text messages and and internet. I mean, one of the greatest fears is that someone would know something about me and not love me enough to keep that to themselves because they could tell a whole lot of people in the day and age that we live in. It's one of our greatest fears for our kids, is it not? That someone would know something about our kids or see something about our kids or screenshot something about our kids or secretly video something about our kids or take a picture of something about our kids and that person not love our kids enough to protect them when they made a mistake, when they made a bad choice. There are a few things as fearful as being fully known and not fully loved. That's why the the gospel, that's why the Christmas story is so great. That you and I are fully known 
and we're completely loved. For all of the good that's maybe in your heart or my heart, and all of the pain, and all of the failure, and all of the disappointment, and all of the mistakes, there is a God that knows all of those and loves us completely. Jeremiah, God says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I didn't just start loving you. I didn't just think you were great today. I'm not going to love you someday. I have already loved you, and it's an everlasting love. It's never going to stop. My love for you is that all-consuming, never-ending. I have loved you with an everlasting love, the you that you are right now. My wife um, <clears throat> this week wanted me to listen to uh, um, a sermon, a message by Matt Chandler, because apparently I'm not her favorite preacher like I thought I was. Um, she wanted me to listen to Matt Chandler, and so I listened to a great message by, by him. But, but at one point in the message, he made this statement. He said, God isn't in love with some future version of yourself. God isn't in love with some future version of yourself. Meaning, God loves the you that's here today. God's not in heaven saying, look, once you figure a few things out, I'll start loving you. That's, that's, not, what God's, that's not the story of Christmas. It's not the gospel. God isn't in heaven going, when you fix a couple of those bad habits that you have, then I'm going to start loving you. God is not in love with some future version of you. God's in love with the you that sits here today. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You are known. You are loved. That's who you are. Here's the third thing about us, about you and me, about who we are. You need a Savior. That's who we are. We need a Savior. And we need a Savior who knows us completely and loves us endlessly. But we need a Savior. I've told you before, I love Christmas. I like decorations and lights and songs and stockings. and I love the Christmas season. But what is the point of all of this if there isn't an end game to this story? And what is the point? And why do we celebrate this every year if there isn't some ultimate meaning, some ultimate direction that the Christmas story was heading? I mean, honestly, a random child born in the Middle East in a part of the world that few of us have ever been to, in a culture that Almost none of us know much about. 2,000 years ago, even if it was in a stable, what does it matter unless there is something else to the story? All, all of the decorating, all of the singing, all of the, the planning, all, none of it matters unless it was going somewhere. And where it was going is the reality that you and I needed a Savior. We needed forgiveness. Look, if my relationship with God is just fine, if your relationship with God is just fine, we don't need Christmas. 
We don't need songs and presents and trees. But the reality is, you and I have been separated by God because of our sin, our disobedience. That's the end game of the story. When the songs are done and the presents have been unwrapped and the decorations have been taken down, there is still the reality that you and I need to be forgiven by our Father in heaven. And our relationship needs to be restored. And so, yes, he sent a baby 2,000 years ago to Bethlehem. was born of a virgin, placed in a manger. And there were angels that sang, and there were shepherds and wise men who came. Because he would one day take our sins in his body. He would lay his life down. He would rise again. Because that's who we are. We need a Savior. We need the redempting, forgiving sacrifice of Jesus at work in our lives. Now, the great news of the story is that Christmas really is for every who. Christmas is for every who. It's for everyone who's known, and that's all of us. It's for everyone who's loved, and that's all of us. It's for everyone who's broken. It's for everyone who finds themselves hopeless at times. It's for everyone who has sinned. It is for everyone who has walked away from God. It is for everyone who has disobeyed God. Because Christmas was the ultimate beginning on this earth, of God's plan to bring us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And every one of us needed that. John would write later, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, any who, you and me, and any person that recognizes their sin and disobedience against God and their need for the sacrifice of Jesus. As we move through this Christmas season, as we celebrate the goodness of Jesus coming, of God taking on flesh and becoming human, I hope that's you. The Bible tells us that our, our access to this Savior, our access to this salvation and forgiveness and redemption is, is our faith. So we put our trust fully, we put our, the full weight of our trust on the person of Jesus who came at Christmas and lived and died and rose again, believing that He is the Savior of the world because He is. And the Scripture says there's none other. There's no other way to God. There's no other way to forgiveness except through Jesus. When you and I put our faith in Him, when we commit our lives to follow after Him, the work of God's redemption is done in us by Jesus. And I hope you've done that. I, I, I hope you're not just singing your way through another Christmas. I hope you're not just decorating your way through another Christmas. I, I hope there's been a point in your life when you confessed your disobedience to God and received the forgiveness of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Uh, for many sitting here, 
It's been good just to be reminded that the ultimate story of Christmas is not what happened in Bethlehem. The ultimate story of Christmas is that Jesus would one day lay down his life and rise again for us, for our salvation. And you've believed that. You've trusted that. You've been following Jesus. But maybe you're here and that moment hasn't happened yet for you. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you listened through this. I, I, I'm so glad that you're with us today. So that I can tell you the most important moment in your life will be when you put your faith in a Savior who came to be born and die and rise again for you. Don't just sing your way through this Christmas. Don't just decorate your way through this Christmas. Believe that the child that came is the Savior of the world and you need a Savior. I need a Savior. If that's you, if you never put your faith in Christ, you, you could just tell Him right now that you believe in Him. You believe He died for you. You believe that you needed forgiveness. You could put your faith in Jesus right now. You, you could say something like, God, I know that I've disobeyed you. God, I know that I need a Savior. And I thank you that Jesus came to be my Savior. Thank you that He was born, and He lived, and He died, and He rose again for my sins. I put my trust in Jesus, and I want to follow Him the rest of my life. Well, if that's you, if you prayed that prayer I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to spend a few minutes with you. I'm going to be in the hallway. I'd love to see you. On the card that you filled out earlier, there's a little place that you can check. I committed my life to Christ. Or you can write, I want to talk to somebody more. I've got some questions. We, want to, we would follow up with you. We would help you. Because we believe this is the most important decision, not just of Christmas. It's the most important decision of your whole life. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Not just to be born. Not just to give us a cool story. Not, not just to give us a reason to decorate. God, you sent Jesus because we, in our sin, needed a Savior to be made right again with you. And above all, may we celebrate that this Christmas. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.